We are starting a brand new series. It's called Reacts. And so what we're going to be doing is um, it's probably, I think series might be the wrong word, actually, because um, usually when I say series, and we already start thinking like three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. If you were here for the At Our Core series, 13, 14 weeks, that felt like years. I mean, it was good, but it was long. So this is probably not, series is probably not the best word because when I say series, you're already thinking beginning and you're thinking end. So let's use the word journey, shall we? Let's all try it together. Journey? Serious? Series. You're such a rebel. Journey. I want you to think journey, okay? Um, so this morning we're kind of kicking off this journey in the book of Acts. I'm hoping that this morning I can give you some background on the book of Acts, and you got sheets to fill in. You only got two things to fill in. A lot less blanks this week than last week, right? Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Here we go. Um, the goal today is to try to frame for you guys where we're going as we learn on the journey, maybe explain what we think is the best way to approach it so we can learn the most at the end. Number one, here we go. Your first two blanks, everybody's excited. Acts is more story than book. Acts is more story than book. One of our core values here at The Gathering is that we love stories. We love stories. And I don't mean Dr. Seuss. I mean, I do like Dr. Seuss. Red fish, blue fish, one fish, two fish, yeah. Um, green eggs and ham is a good one. I, I mean, I love stories like that, but we love your stories. How many of you know that you have a story? you got a story. Some of you um, are in, maybe they're not good stories right now. You're hoping it gets better. But we love stories. We love for people to give their testimonies, to share what God's doing in their lives because it brings God glory and it gives people grace. So we love stories. The book of Acts, this is a book that has stories. So I don't want you to think of it like, hey, we're going to study this book. I want you to think of it like a collection of stories. Who knows what a backstory is? A backstory is like when you watch a movie and then they do the prequel to the movie, so you have to go back and get the story, right? Acts has a backstory. You didn't know that it did, but it does. It's called the book of Luke. That's, that's the backstory to Acts. At one time, it was actually one whole book. So here's what I want you to do. Keep your finger in Acts. I just want you to turn back, I think, two or three books to the left, and I want you to find Luke chapter 1 in your Bible. Luke chapter 1. And why is that important? Because this is where we're going to see why the book that we're getting ready to look at, these collection of stories, why are they even in the Bible? Not that you would ever do that. I do sometimes read the Bible, and my first thought is, why is that in here? You ever, there's weird stuff in the Bible, right? Y'all know that, don't you? Read it long enough, and you'll know. Luke chapter 1. Luke's writing, and he says to, in verse 3, to a guy named Theophilus, who must have been an awesome dude because he says most excellent Theophilus. We'll just call him Theo. In verse 4, it tells why he wrote Theophilus all this stuff. Why did he write this guy? He said this, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So everything we do from this point until this journey is over, when we read the book of Acts, why is that story in there. When we come across weird stuff in Acts, and we will come across some bizarre things, and we'll all go, hmm, we should ask ourselves, now why is that there? And the reason it's there is because he wrote this so that we could know with certainty 
what we believe. I've told some of you before, the best interview question I ever heard was Oprah Winfrey. I can't believe the best interview question came from Oprah. But she said to Michael Jackson when he turned 30, she looked at him on live television, and she said, Michael, you're 30. What do you know for sure? And I went, dang, that's a good question. What do you know for sure? Start throwing words like certainty out there. It's like, holy cow, what do I know for sure? Um, I don't know for sure if the Panthers are going to play good today. We hope, right? I don't know for sure that I'll have the money to pay my bills next month. We hope. What do you know for sure? We're going to find some things in Acts, in these stories, that are going to help us know things for sure. So the book of Acts tells the story of Jesus. I mean, the book of Luke tells the story of Jesus. The book of Acts tells us the story of the Holy Spirit. And if ever there was a book that screamed out, it ain't over, it's the book of Acts. All right? In fact, you don't have to turn there, just jot this down. One of Jesus' followers, his name was John, he wrote it in John 14, 12, that Jesus believed the church, look at the person next to you, look at them good, because what I'm fixing to say about them, you're not going to believe. But Jesus said it. Jesus said that the church would do greater things than Jesus did. John 14, 12. Now look at the person next to you again and ask yourself this question. Does this person look better than Jesus? I mean, am I the only one that reads John 14, 12, and the first thing I think is, seriously? We're going to do greater things than Jesus? Um, God, are you blind? I mean, like, look at me. Look at them. Look at us. But he said that. He said we could do greater things. He could, we could do greater things than Jesus did. And why is that? We'll talk about that verse more as we go on this journey, okay? But here's the bottom line. Let's just agree with this, that when we read these stories in Acts, this is a collection of stories about men and women just like you, just like the person next to you, who did those greater things than Jesus. The things Jesus talked about, this is where we see it. Real men, real women, just like us, that did greater things that Jesus was talking about. So before we jump into the next point, which most of us are going to struggle with, I want to make something very clear. For many, it seems easy to discount the book of the Bible, right? Um, how many of you know somebody or you were this person and you said, I don't really like the church? Anybody ever said that? Okay, me and Richard, let's just talk. Because I just was apparently way too transparent just then because everybody went, dude, pastor doesn't like church. Weird. I have before said, I don't know if I like church. But when I say I don't like church, I mean I don't like church. And what changes my mind? Now, we could be really spiritual here and say, oh, Jesus changes your mind. But that's not really true. What changes my mind is I meet individual believers in the church. And I go, now they really believe this stuff. See, it's easy to discount the whole. It's hard to discount the individual. I don't know if I believe the Bible. I mean, it's got this weird story in there about these people walking across the, like, the, the sea parts, and they walk through on dry ground, and then other people come behind them, and like the sea falls in on them, and they all drown, and they die. And I just don't know if I believe that. 
because I'm pretty sure that my professor told me that the, the water was only like ankle deep when that happened. So we discount the whole Bible. But then you hear stories, and it's hard to discount stories sometimes. By the way, just to help you out a little bit, if you ever have a professor tell you that that story is not true because it was only ankle-deep water, just raise your hand, and when he or she calls on you, say, I, just, I need to ask you a question. Just, just help me understand. Would it not be a greater miracle that all of those horses and all of those men drowned in ankle-deep water? That's when the professor shuts up and gives you an F. But all the people in your class will be like, you're awesome, you rock. A couple more things I want to say before we jump on to number two. Um, all of us, whether we're Christians or not, probably want to grow. Okay, some of you are here, you're Christians with me. Like, I'm a believer, I follow Jesus, I read Acts. There's going to be things in Acts that I'll, like, we'll do because we're believers. But some of you are here and you're not sure about Jesus. And so you will read Acts and go, that's weird. And I'm probably not going to do that. And that's cool, you don't have to. But here's the thing, I just want to challenge you with something, okay? How many of you, don't have to raise your hand, you're in business? How many of you are in athletics? How many of you are just breathing? Raise your hand on that. Are you breathing? Okay. If you're breathing... My guess is you woke up this morning and thought, I'd like for today to be better than yesterday. Now, there's the occasional day that is the best day ever. Am I right? And we have those every now and then. And then you wake up the next morning and go, I just hope today could be a fraction of how good yesterday was. But for the most part, we wake up in the morning and we say to ourselves, I hope today's better than yesterday. All of us want to improve. All of us want to grow. Now, if you're in business, you most definitely want to improve. You definitely want to, to grow. If you're an athlete, you want to do better this week than you did last week. And so here's what I'm going to say to you. Even if you don't love Jesus, what I find in the book of Acts is that you would be a fool not to read these stories and say to yourself, there's got to be something in here that I can use in my life. And here's why. I'm not a real math whiz. But I was just curious, what percentage growth does an organization have to go through to grow from 120, which is what it is at the beginning of Acts, to 2 billion, which is what it is today? The answer is the church experienced 16.5 million percent growth. Now, I know, we all just heard that and went, cool. But that means you didn't really hear that. Now, I was thinking today's like our one-year anniversary, so I was kind of like thinking, how, well, how's the gathering done in a year, right? And I'm reading these statistics about church plants, and I found that church plants typically, in their first year, they average 40 people. In their fourth year, they average 90. Look around. Apparently, we're like four or five years ahead of schedule, right? That, that I found um, they typically, you know, what is from 40 to 90 in four years, that's, I mean, that's kind of slow growth. You know what we grew last year? We grew 170%. And I was like, that's awesome. But then I saw that the church in Acts grew, like they've grown 16.5 million percent. And I'm, oh, we just grew 170%. I mean, 16.5 million percent is even hard to wrap your brain around. But I'm telling you something, if you don't even love Jesus, wouldn't you love to grow your business 16 and a half million percent? The people that aren't shaking their heads, they either don't own a business or they're not responsible for paying the bills out of the business. 
But if you own a business and you have to pay bills, you're going, dude, like, you know what? I don't even want to be selfish here. Just give me 1 million percent growth. I'll share the other 15 and a half million with some other business. I mean, that is insane growth. They started with 120, and today the church worldwide is estimated to be about 2 billion. So even if I don't get anything out of these stories from Jesus, I would like to at least experience that kind of growth. Okay? So I want you to think Acts is more story than book. And number two, Acts is more doing than knowing. Acts is more doing than knowing. This is the part that we're going to have to struggle a little bit with, okay? Because when I spit that stat out about growing the church growing 16.5 million percent, if you're like most Americans, the first, one of the first things that went through your mind was this. How'd they do that? How'd they do that? And that's the way we typically think. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not the Jesus approach. It's the American approach, maybe more specifically the Western approach. Um, here's how our process works. You tell me if this isn't true. Teach me, and then I'll do what you taught me. Is that pretty much, I mean, who's in school right now? Raise your hand. Be proud or be in mourning. I don't know, <laughs> proud or mourning. I'm in school. In school, we teach you, and then we test you, right? And hopefully it all works out well. Now, here's how that approach works. You go to school, you get taught, you memorize, you take the test, you've got a fantastic GPA, you get out into the real world and go, what do I do with that stuff? Jesus' approach is in the very first verse of Acts. In the former book, Luke writes, in the former book is Luke, Theophilus, in the former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That's Jesus' approach, to do and to teach, not to teach and then to do. Totally backwards from how we do it. Acts is more doing than knowing. Jesus is pro his, here's his deal. Look, you do it, and in the process, you will learn. And that's why faith is so important. We've said this before. You'll hear Jay say it all the time if you hang out with him because he's in sales. He'll say, the confused mind says no. And that's true because somebody's going to come to your house someday and they're going to knock on your door and they're going to offer you this phenomenal deal. It's going to be a spray bottle about this big and they're going to tell you that if you sprayed on anything, it'll make it better. And you'll be, the first thing you ask them is, so if I spray my kids, and they're like, as long as you have this special thing to scrub it with after you spray it, it'll even fix your kids. I mean, it'll be, it'll be too good to be true. And you will want to say yes, but you'll, there's something in you that'll be like, but, but are you going to use the money for drugs when I give it to you? Um, are you, are you under like surveillance right now from somebody with a gun that will kill you if I don't buy it from you? I mean, you'll have so many weird questions going through your head that ultimately, even if it's the best thing ever, you're probably going to say, no thanks. Unless you're me, of course, and you feel bad for the guy, and then you buy it. But that's a whole other story. And it did clean amazingly everything he showed me that it would. But now when I clean, it doesn't work quite as well. Anyway, the confused mind says no, but write this down. The trusting mind says yes. 
the trusting mind says yes. Now, everybody in here is thinking of a gazillion reasons why that can't possibly be true, but you already know that it is, and here's how you know. You've been a parent, or you've had a parent. There's four words that all parents swear they will never say. And then when their children get just old enough, they hear the words come out of their mouth. And if you're a parent, you could say the four words for me right now. They would be, because, because I said so. And, and your child looks at you and says, but why? 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 Teach me so that I may do. Why? Why, oh great parent? Please espouse your wisdom so that I may then do what you expect of me. And you say, no, just do it because I said to do it. And they go, but I don't understand. You will. If you'll just do it, I promise, understanding, you'll suddenly be like, whoa, you'll get it. See? See? We want to say that this is like we have a Western way of thinking and the Bible's an Eastern way of thinking, but the reality is, we already believe this stuff. We just don't like it when it's used on us. But we're okay using it on our kids. That's why when you were growing up and your parents used it on you, you said to yourself, I will never say that. Because you hated it as a kid. But then you became a parent and you realized there really is no better answer than because I said so. Just do it and then you'll learn. Jesus began to do and to teach them. He would say things like, hey, partner up. And they'd be like, cool, we're going to be doing lean on me with emotions? He'd go, no, 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 no. No lean on me. What I want you to do is get a partner, and then I want you to just go out to the cities and towns and the villages and just pray for people. Um, excuse me, Jesus, isn't there a conference we're supposed to go to first on healing? And he went, yes, we just had it. It was called partnering up and going into the villages to pray for people. Oh, all right, you're still here. Go, 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 go throw up. <laughs> go grow up. Sorry, Mike Wazowski slip there from Monsters Incorporated. People, come on, come on. You got to get these references. And what happened in the Bible? The disciples came back, and they were amazed at what took place. I don't think they understood anything any more then than they did when they went out. But they did, and they learned that the power of God was the power of God. Because I said so. Faith is something that we all use daily. When I was lifeguarding, one of my favorite parts of lifeguarding was sitting in my big, tall chair, which at the while was really about this tall, but you felt like it was tall. And I would watch parents come in with their kids for family swim, 
And you've done this too if you're a parent. Again, this just proves the point that we already get what Jesus did. We just don't like it. And they would walk in, and sure enough, there's some dad or there's some mom, and they're standing in the water, and they're doing this, and they're waiting on their child to jump to them. And if you've ever watched this take place, I've, I've literally watched people stand for 10 minutes waiting on their kids to jump. And it's funny when they're in the shallow end, it's hilarious when they're treading water under the diving board. Because it goes like this. Here's how the conversation goes. The dad goes, jump to me, baby. Come on, jump. jump. It's going to be okay. You're not going to drown. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, I know you're a little scared, and their feet are like they're treading water, you know, and their face is getting a little bit red. And, and so, like, what's the girl do? She's like, uh, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> and then the, the dad's like, no, no, it's okay. Come on, just, just jump. Come on, just jump. Come on. Yeah, you can do it. Please, you can do it. <laughs> Come on, just come. Okay. <laughs> and then the dad's like, seriously, um, just jump. Just just jump. Come on. Just, okay. <laughs> I can't do it again. And what does the dad finally say? Just trust me. And that's where it always ends up. Always. Because one, the dad's going to drown. <laughs> if she doesn't jump quickly. And the dad's tired, and the dad has finally realized that this whole dialogue is not about convincing his three-year-old child in her mind that she can have all the faith in the world that when I jump, nothing bad's going to happen. It all boils down to one thing, and it is the F word, faith. Will you trust me or will you not? And we hate that word. We love it when we ask people to trust us, but we hate it when God asks us to trust him. But the entire book of Acts, the entire collection of stories, every story that we will read in here, you will see one common element. Basically, the Holy Spirit says to the early church, jump. I got you. Come on. Just trust me. Have some faith. When I was on staff at First Assembly, I knew that God was calling me to go on the road to speak full time. And I panicked a little because First Assembly paid me. And I knew I wouldn't have a salary at all. I mean, I, I, I started praying like, God, what do you want me to do? I'm sure there's some way that you want me to have money before I do this. And so I, I started asking God, <laughs> you would never do this, but I did. I was, I was sure I was hearing God. And I just said, give me three names to talk to about this whole step. And I kind of played it off like with God, you know, just, just men of wisdom that I can go to and just share the vision and just ask them to pray for me. But ironically, God gave me the three names of the richest men I knew. Crazy, huh? And so I took the first one to lunch. And I presented the vision and all that stuff, and will you pray for me, and what do you think? I think God would like you to give me $10,000. Seemed reasonable to me. If I could get all three of them to give me ten grand, I had like a salary at least, which on a family of five is probably not a lot, but it's something, right? It's good. And I'll never forget what he said. What a great man. He just looked at me. He said, you know what, Paul? I've watched you grow. 
I have no doubt that anything you do, God will, you'll succeed, God will use you. He said, but I'm pretty sure you kind of have to take the step of faith before you see God come through. <laughs> I was like, I remember I'm sitting in Applebee's, and I wanted to puke the salad back up, you know? I, I could not apologize fast enough. I just told him, I said, you're so right. I mean, what am I thinking? Who, who am I to try to make it easy when it's a step of faith? There's no way to make faith easy. Look at the person next to you and tell them there's no way to make faith easy. We want to make it easy, but there's no way to make faith easy. So let's just quickly look through Acts chapter 1. We're going to do the first 11 verses, and let's just see how this plays out. We're almost done. Everybody say, yay! You were especially enthusiastic about that. I noticed that right away. Okay, here's how it plays out, okay? Jesus, he does, and then he teaches. And here's how it plays out. Because I don't want you sitting here thinking that, well, you know, these, these guys in Acts, they got it figured out. They're good Christians, and we're bad Christians. I want you to see that humanity, and you are human, right? I mean, there's some show coming out this fall on TV where the kids, like, do something and turn into aliens, but you're not going to do that, right? I mean, we're all human, correct? Okay, we could do pricking our fingers and seeing if we bleed. That'd be fun. We're all human. So if you're human, if you're breathing, you're going to always wrestle a bit with this faith thing. You're going to wrestle with Jesus saying to do it before he tells you why he told you to do it, okay? So here, let's see how it plays out in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is talking, um, verse 2, until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, probably at Zaxby's, he gave them this command. And here it is. If you're going to highlight something in your Bible, highlight this. He gave them this command. Everybody say one. one. He gave them one command. Here it is. Don't leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the part where all the Pentecostals go, sweet. And all the non-Pentecostals go, why are the Pentecostals going sweet and have a crazy look on their face, right? Because we all go, ooh, power of the Holy Spirit. Whoa! But don't get crazy on that, okay? Because that's not the command. The command is, but wait for the gift my Father promised. That's the command, okay? Everybody say one. That's one command. If It's like when you're a parent and you tell your kid, make your bed, and then they come to you and say, my room's clean. And you go, is your bed made? And you tiptoe back, and they come back later on. I brushed my teeth. Awesome. Is your bed made? You know, it's like, just do the one thing I asked you to do. I'm glad you brushed your teeth and all that stuff. You're not going to kill people with your dragon breath, but just make your bed, okay? So one, one, one. He gave them one command. Wait for the gift my father promised. How did these awesome men of God respond to that? Verse 6, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They responded like we do. He said, do this, and they went, why? Why are we doing that again? Because are you going to do this now? 
And so how did Jesus follow up with that? Verse 7, he said, it's not for you to know the times. Paraphrasing, dude, shut up. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I know we've heard that verse a gazillion times probably, but the bottom line is, just paraphrasing here, Jesus said, listen, I already told you what to do. Go wait. Go wait for the promise, that I, the gift I've promised you. Just go wait. Okay, but we're going to wait, but we're waiting, right, because you're going to give us that because that's when you're going to take, like, the over, right, the kingdom. And then we'll get the crowns with the scepter thing, and we'll all have thrones. It's like the Game of Thrones, right? We'll all have that, and we'll be like, yes. And he's like, what? Now, I don't know where you're going with all that thinking stuff, but I just said to go wait. Jesus began to do and to teach. The book of Acts is more about doing than knowing. Understand? Okay, so twice Jesus has told them what to do, and they've asked him why. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. That's one verse in the Bible that I wish I could have been there for. I mean, that's better than a Las Vegas show right there. He's just talking, and all of a sudden, gone. And I don't know what you would do in that moment, but I think we would do exactly what they did. They just did this. Are those, are those his sandals? It's a bird. It's a bird. I'm sorry. What do we do now? Awkward. Oh, wait, here he comes. Here he comes. None of those are two really glowing guys. Ooh, angels. I mean, God had to send angels back down to basically say, dude, what are you doing? Can you imagine that conversation? Um, why are you looking up in the sky? That's what it says in the Bible. Do you read the Bible? It says it right there. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? And we, and look, here's how we read the Bible. Anytime an angel says something, we hear harp music in the background, right? But this is just an angel, basically two guys, they're glowing, angels coming down, they're just going, dude, what are you doing? Why are you standing in, why are you staring up in the sky? And at that point, they're probably like, hey, angels, could you move? I'm trying to see Jesus. And what does the angel say? Basically, um, I think Jesus told you what to do. Go do it. And what we'll find next week is, starting in verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem. So the first 11 verses of Acts, let's just sum up, shall we? Jesus' method of us learning things is for us to do what he asked us to do, and then he will help us understand as we're doing it. It's kind of like on-the-job training, right? It's kind of like that game, Follow the Leader. You ever played Follow the Leader? And the disciples, like us, wanted to know why. And Jesus said, you don't need to know why. Just go do what I said to go do. And then as he's saying that, poof, gone. And they immediately went, what's happening? Because we need to know why. I need understanding. You're gone. And then angels came down and said, what are you doing? Why are you still here staring at the sky? You look like idiots. Go do what you're supposed to do. And they went, oh, and then they return to Jerusalem. And that's not a really spiritual view of the first 11 verses of Acts, right? 
because you're expecting something about fire and power and all that. But you know what? We'll get to that. The question is, as we go through the book of Acts, as we look at these stories, will we respond like they did? Are we always going to go, uh, well, I, I might do that, but why? Or are we willing just to say, I trust you. God, I trust you. Will we trust God enough to, to play a little follow the leader? Just like the early church did. Before there were conferences and church growth seminars, they were just like us. A small church in a small room in a small town. In fact, I realized this last night. There were 120 of them. There's about 120 of us. Maybe give or take 10. Are we willing to just step out in obedience and just do even before we know? Because when they started to do before they knew, the results were earth-shattering. So here's the big idea at the top of your page. I just want you to write this down. This is what I want you to take home with you today. You're like, man, if you'd have told me that at the very beginning, I wouldn't have even listened to you at all. I was smart this time. I told you at the end. I made you hang in there, okay? Here's your blanks at the top of the page. The big idea is this. When we try without the why, God's kingdom comes alive. When we try without the why... Our God's kingdom comes alive. And I just want to, again, I want to kind of preface this a little bit. I've tried to teach through all this so you would hear that and not think crazy, okay? I am absolutely, because right now some of us, we're so type A, 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 that you're going, what's wrong with understanding? What's wrong with asking why? Why can't I understand? Why can't I know? I'm not saying you won't know. And I told somebody, I think I told Wendy this, I think when we get through with this little walk through Acts, if you could interview the church at the end of the book, they probably would say this, I know a lot more now than I did 20 some odd chapters earlier. Nothing's wrong with, there's nothing wrong with learning. What's wrong is when we say, I will not try until I know what I'm doing, until I know why I'm doing it, until I have every answer, every question answered. And when you do that, then I'll try. And it reminds me of Josh McDowell. I don't know if you remember him or not. He's a little bit of an older guy. He spent his whole ministry going around and doing, um, he was an apologetic person. I mean, not apologetic. I'm really sorry. He's just an apologist. And so he was always arguing with people for the faith. He would do debates with people that didn't know Jesus. And he was on college campuses all the time. And he tells this story about this one guy that he talked to. He just, he, he could not convince this guy to follow Jesus. And so he said, do you have any questions that you don't, that I can answer? And so he's like, well, what happened to the dinosaurs? And then Josh McDowell would give him an answer. And he'd go, oh, okay. Well, do you have any other, do you have any other questions? He'd ask him another question. And Josh McDowell tells the story, he says, literally, over a period of a few weeks, I answered every question that dude had, every objection he had to the faith. And when I had asked him, do you have any other questions? And the guy went, no, I think you've pretty much answered all of them. He, Josh McDowell said, so are you ready to follow Jesus, to give your heart to Jesus, to, to trust him with your life? And the guy said, no. Josh McDowell was like, well, I mean, you said you don't have any other questions. Said, oh, I don't have any other questions. It's just that I'm pretty sure if I give my heart to Jesus, I won't be able to live with my girlfriend anymore. And Josh McDowell, who spent his whole ministry answering questions, says in that moment he realized it's really not about answering questions. It's always about the will always about the will see we put such a premium on knowledge and it is very very important but it's never as important as simply saying jesus i trust you 
I trust you enough to play follow the leader. All of us have played that game. When, um, when I was a child and we play follow the leader, someone gets to lead, of course, and whatever they do, the people behind them do it. And we trusted the leader not to do anything stupid. Like, it would be stupid if you were playing follow the leader and you were like, I'm the leader and I've got the best move ever. Jump off a bridge. All right? I mean, that would be stupid. So you trust them not to do that. It's usually stuff like, you know, that kind of stuff, turning around, maybe picking your nose. I don't know, you know, stuff like that. But when you're playing the game, do you stop in the middle of the game and say, uh, excuse me, why did you put your right hand up? Why didn't you go with the left? Why did you go around that tree when there's a perfectly nice tree over here? What was your thought process exactly behind that move you did? It was awesome, but who you th- did you diagram it last night in the bedroom before we played the game? Do you do that? Are you not sure? <laughs> I mean, please tell me you don't do that. You just do it, right? And why is that? Because it's, it's a game. You trust them. They're your friend. But can you imagine how unfun follow the leader would be if every time the leader made a move, you had that exchange? Excuse me, question. Could you just explain that again? Maybe one more time slower. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Okay, I got it. All right, it's good, guys. Here we go. That'd be crazy boring. Why is it fun? Because you just do what the leader does. That's what these stories and acts are going to be all the way through. They had a leader. His name's the Holy Spirit. And he led them. And when he said to do something, they did it. Why? Because they trusted him. Because they trusted the Lord to lead them where they needed to go. My prayer for us during this series is simply that, that we'll find ourselves trusting. We'll find ourselves willing to do it. We'll be the little girl. Well, some of you will be the little boy. We'll be the girls or the boys on the diving board that are jumping just because our dad, our mom is in the water, and we know without a doubt we can trust them to catch us. You are invited on a journey to remember Acts And to do what we see, even if we don't fully understand it, I believe that this will be the start of something great. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you did in the early church. I thank you that it's not just in this Bible so that we can read it and go, that's nice. I believe, Lord, it's there so we can ask ourselves the question, what could you pull off in Stanley County if a church like the Gathering simply said, we're going to trust someone far greater than us and we're going to do what he says. Even if we don't fully understand, fully comprehend, we're going to do what he says because we trust him. God, what could you pull off in this county? How many families could be redeemed in this city? How many lives could be free from the addictions that that they struggle with in this city? Simply because we trust you. So God, we ask you to lead us through this collection of stories, God. I pray that when we read about Peter picking up a crippled man, when we read about Paul escaping from a city before he stoned to death. God, that they would leap off the page to us 
that we would find ourselves asking that question. What, what if I trusted Jesus like that? What could God do through me? In your name, Jesus.